Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of the NBA page, with you as always. And today, hey, we're going to have some fun. I'm out in Chicago. If this sounds a little weird, it's not I'm not on my normal setup. Uh, I'm using something else. I'm out in Chicago for the All-Star game. But we are going to be talking NBA draft this year, which is really considered a down draft by teams. Uh, we're going to talk with it with Rob Doster from NBC Sports to talk about what players you should be watching, what players might be sleepers, uh, so the guys he's got. On the mock draft, he just released his first one. We're going to get into all of that, plus uh, talk some other stuff and have some fun. But thank you for listening. Again, if you can subscribe through iTunes, uh, we are trying to build this thing. But without further ado, let's welcome in Rob Doster from College Basketball Talk at NBC Sports and all over your uh, all over your internet. How you doing, Rob? I am doing great. What's going on, man? How you been? I'm in good. I'm good. I'm here in Chicago, where it's uh, it's balmy Chicago, but. Uh, you know, hey, we're here for the All Star Game. It's always a fun weekend of parties and shows and checking out Jordan shoes and stuff. So, um, and Adidas, I guess. So, uh, you know, it'll be fun. Yeah, I, I, I've never actually been to an NBA All Star Game, but I do. I'm hoping that the dunk contest is uh, as, as good as it's been. Uh, maybe not like the last couple of years, but uh, hopefully, um, it ends up being something special because I, I I miss the dunk contest like being just appointment viewing. Like you have to go watch the dunk. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's actually – it's funny. I enjoy, I enjoy the All-Star Saturday stuff way more than the game itself. I know they're trying this weird new format this year with the Elam ending and all this stuff. The game itself is just – it's the same thing with the Pro Bowl and just about every All-Star game in every sport, which is nobody plays defense, nobody wants to get hurt. It's not that exciting to watch, right? Like they're just – we'll see how it ends up turning out this year, but I just got a feeling the game itself is the game itself – but like the event that goes on around it, it is a huge party. And so that's, you know, it, you know, that, there are worse things to be at in life. Yeah. Yeah. It could be, it could be worse, man. At least you get to go out and watch some dunks. Exactly. Well, let's jump in. We're bringing you in to talk about the college basketball season. You just re- and the upcoming NBA draft, which is obviously in April, but you just released your first round of your mock draft for 21 and you have let's let's run let's kind of run through some of the questions and stuff i'll start here though actually i was at the g league showcase just before christmas in las vegas talking to people from a lot of teams they're not that high on this draft like the general consensus was that there's there's certainly not a zion in this draft there's not necessarily a franchise guy in this draft and that they think that the talent at the top that they, they just weren't wowed by it and they weren't quite sure yet how to separate the guys at the top yeah, you know, if you go and you kind of look at a consensus for who should be number one and who should be number two and who should be number three, like there really isn't a consensus at all. Uh, and part of that is because there's no standout guy. You know, we uh, last season, Zion, you know, we, we, we talked about this, Kurt. Zion, to me, was probably the best prospect that we've seen coming through the college ranks yeah. since Anthony Davis. Uh, I think John Morant and his ability to pass, it was very clear that he was going to end up being um, a very, very good NBA player. Uh, but there is, there's nobody like that this year. There's no Trey Youngs. There's no Luka Doncic's. There's no uh, DeAndre Ayton's or Marvin Bagley's or Jason Tatum's or anyone that's kind of at that level. So it's it's a very weird draft. Um, and if I was somebody that was drafting at the top, uh, I don't know how much you could actually get for like a number one or a number two or a number three pick this year. But I would definitely be trying to trade uh, out of some of those top slots. Because I do think there are some uh, good role players and, and kind of – safe picks 
in the like 10 to 20 to 25 range. I do think that there's a little bit of value there, but there just is nobody at the top. You know what it is? It's one of those years where it feels like everybody in the top 10 is a guy that should be getting picked in like the six to 10 range. There's no like top three, top four picks in terms of what we normally think of a top three, top four pick in the NBA draft. But the way the rules work, Rob, somebody has to get drafted first. Uh, uh, somebody will be in that slot. And you have Anthony Edwards out of uh, Georgia, the shooting guard. They're number one. What what draws you to him? I, I'll tell you that I've heard his name at the top of a few boards. Like, he seems to be a guy who stood out this year. Yeah, it, it just feels like he's the guy that could end up being, like, the big-time scorer in this draft class. And when you see him go off, it is really something to watch. I mean, like, I, I would encourage everybody to go and find – uh, some kind of like YouTube video or some kind of uh, highlight reel of what he did in the second half against Michigan State in the Maui Invitational. He scored 33 points in the last 16 minutes of a half against a team that was at the time like a top three team in college basketball. He When he gets hot, he can really take a game over. And, you know, he has all the all the physical tools and all the, you know, he's 6'4", he's 225 pounds. He's really athletic. He's an explosive leaper, explosive driver. He's got a big wingspan. Um, he can make shots. Like, he has legitimate 30-foot range. Uh, his biggest issue and, and kind of the frustrating thing about watching him is that he's not always completely, like, locked in. He kind of has this reputation for being a guy that will, I don't want to say, like, float through games, but will kind of let the game come to him a little bit too much, especially like in the first half. And and then, you know, he makes these amazing rallies down the stretch and will finish with like a really, really impressive stat line, but it doesn't always come in wins. And, and you know, in speaking with people that, that knew him and were around him in high school, that's kind of what he was in high school too. You know, one guy that I know uh, from Georgia was saying that like he was the most unbelievable second half scorer he's ever seen, but he didn't win a lot of games when he was playing in the high school ranks because he would just take over in the second half and, you know, turn a 20-point deficit into a three-point deficit, which is exactly what he did against Michigan State. Does he have the shooting range, though? I know his three-point percentage isn't great, but is that just a matter of, like, his form fine and he can do this? It's just he's not right now? I mean, part of it is the, the degree of difficulty of the shots that he's taking. Part of it is that he's one of these, like, streaky guys that can hit four or five, six in a row, and you don't want to tell him to stop shooting but he's going to have nights where he goes like one for eight, one for nine kind of deal. Um, I don't think – I think he's a better shooter than what that number says right now, Uh, but I do think it is a little bit concerning that he has not been more consistent from a line that's a little bit shorter than what he's going to see in the NBA. But I don't think – let me phrase I'll I'll phrase it like this. He's a better shooter than 32%, but he's not ever going to be like Clay Thompson. Okay. Uh, number two, you have a guy we've talked about before uh, on these podcasts, and uh, you've written about. I think everybody's written about Lamelo Ball, who I know you know, like you you wrote in your uh, mock draft. He's not the scrawny little kid anymore. Like he, he starting at prep school a couple of years ago, really started to physically grow up, but also kind of mentally grow up and grow into what's going to be a pretty good player. Yeah, you know, people think of Lamella Ball and they hear the name Lamella Ball and they think about the little like five foot nine kid that had the blonde mohawk with the braces that was firing up half court shots when his brothers were on the floor and the guy that was uh, basket hanging because LeVar Ball his dad told him that he wanted him to try to get to 100 points in a game and that's not who Lamella is anymore he's uh, six foot seven he is a point guard that can do all of the things that you want point guards to do at the NBA level, he's a really good passer. He's got a great feel for the game. Um, you know, he, he's kind of in that mold of the guy that you want to see uh, kind of be, you know, when you talk about these like kind of big point guards that can control everything offensively and are really good in ball screens and can read the floor and can make all those passes that they need, like he's that guy. Uh, he's not a super athlete. He's not really a great defender. Um, and like the biggest thing, though, is one, his shooting. He still has that kind of like weird release that it seems yeah. like all the Ball brothers have. Uh, but that's something that can be worked I've, on. And I heard that, interesting theories on that uh, from uh, some people out at the in the G League showcase time that because LeVar had them shooting so young and from so deep to try to teach them that they kind of came up with weird releases because that's how they had to get rid of the ball to get it where he was trying to put them. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. You know, when you when you shoot the ball from your hip, that's what you do when you're like nine years old and you're trying to make a three pointer. Right. Think about going back to basketball camp when you did that. Like, that's how everybody shot. And I got uh, they, and who got corrected. I, I will tell you, I still wear the shirt. I well, I bought a new one because I kind of grew out of it. Uh, I, don't, I can't really fit in my clothes from age 10 anymore. But um, I went to the John Wooden basketball camp out here. And that was like I spent two or three summers in a row out there and. I remember spending the first one, them just correcting my shot until, the four, you know, the elbow was tucked in and all, the, you know, all that until the form to this day, the form is pretty good. The accuracy has declined dramatically over the years, but like, you know, breaking that down and it happened to everyone else, but not the ball kids. Yeah. And, and I think that how good your form is, a, is a little bit overrated when it comes to shooting. I, I think that having a consistent form and doing the same thing on every single shot is more important than actually having like the perfect, beautiful release because uh, consistency is all that really matters. Um, and I think that there are there are plenty of examples of guys that have bad form that end up being good shooters. Uh, but the b- big thing with the balls is like so with Lonzo, the thing was since he shot the ball from like the left side of his body when he was going to his left and he was taking that left left handed um, step back. Uh, his body was in the natural natural position where he could get that shot away. The issue was when he's going right and he has to bring the ball all the way to the other side of his body to get the shot off, you can't take pull-ups going to your right. So you're kind of limiting yourself to one side of the floor uh, and only going one direction. And that makes it so that the defense knows what's coming. If you go right, you're going to the rim. If you go left, you're stepping back, and that makes you easy to guard. So uh, LaMelo has a little bit of that as well where he needs to kind of work through it. But, again, I think he's actually going to be the youngest player taken in the lottery. Uh, he is someone that should probably be a senior in high school right now instead of uh, playing his first year professionally. That's how old he is. Um, but again, like the big thing is the shooting stroke, whether or not he's going to work defensively and whether or not he's kind of gotten rid of some of the bad habits that he had uh, growing up and, and kind of as a kid, you know, he, he's, He's never really been known as a great worker and shutting things down after realizing he has a chance to be the number one pick because he's got some uh, ankle injury that is, I promise you, is not as serious as they're making. It. Like It's not a season-ending ankle, ankle injury that he suffered. He just earned his draft spot, and then he kind of shut things down. So um, the, 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 the reputation of, of who he is as a person and how much work he's going to put in, that's something that, that NBA organizations are going to have to do their due yeah. diligence on and uh, determine whether or not um, who he is. And on, like, I don't know him well enough to, to make a comment on that, but I do think that that is like, that's what you have to figure out. If you're going to take LaMelo ball number one, which is very possible, you have to figure out whether or not like he has, is he wired like the kid that, that was getting like 15 years old with a million and a half Instagram followers that was taking pictures in his brother's Maseratis when they couldn't drive. Or is he wired like Lonzo who has really turned into like the, a quintessential, very, grounded, hardworking, like just a good professional basketball player. And I'm not talking about like his talent. Like he is a a pro's pro when it comes to the way that he approaches the game. So if Lomelo turns into that guy with that kind of mindset that his brother has, you know, I think there's a very good chance that he could end up being a really, really good player. One guy like it's actually kind of funny, and I I hope that people don't take this the wrong way. But one name that I keep hearing, like comparing him to is is if he puts it all together, he kind of has a very similar skill set to Luka Doncic. Yeah, and I, he might not get all the way there, but I, that's a that's a that's a that's a lot of lot in one package, and it's six seven that brings a lot. By the way, that's a really good point about Lonzo. Lonzo is a hard worker. Lonzo puts in the time in the gym. And by the way, shout out to um, shout out to Fred Vinson from the Pelicans for reworking his shot this year. Like Lonzo's shot, Lonzo looks a hundred percent better, but uh, he's he's really starting to find a form for it. That guy's turned around more than one career with his shooting touch, uh, shooting coaching out there for New Orleans. That's a, uh, <laughs> quietly become a place pretty good at player development. Um, also, I'll just throw this out there for NBA teams because people say this all the time. Yeah, but they're freaked out about Lavar. Not really. Not teams are pretty good about shutting out parents. Like it's just you're now a pro. The you don't have access. The pro parents don't have access to practice. They don't have that much. He's kind of a pain for the PR team and stuff. And it's possible a team, if all things being equal, would consider someone like all other things being equal. Then maybe the PR side wins out a little bit and they take the other person. But it's not going to slow a team down from somebody they like because they really don't. I'll tell you with the Lakers. I mean, especially if you're not in LA, you know exactly. You don't hear Lavar Ball 
uh, overwhelming Lonzo for all those stories anymore. You know, yeah. you did when he was a rookie and you did maybe a little bit into his, his second season when Lonzo was in LA, but now that Lonzo is in new Orleans and now that Lonzo yeah. has kind of put his foot in the ground and said, look, I'm my own man. Like, uh, I don't know all the details about uh, what is, what happened with the relationship between those two, but it, there, there was yeah, a little yeah. bit of falling out. So yep. um, they are, they're at a point now where Lonzo's kind of his own man. And I think that you, you have to, you have to do like, do your due diligence and you have to make the deep yeah. dive and you have to figure out whether or not, uh, LaMelo is also wired that way, but I don't think you like if you're not drafting LaMelo because of who his dad is, then you're just going to like there's a chance that you might end up missing on the best player in this draft. And that's just that's the truth. Uh, number three, another guy that's shut down for the year um, on your, you know, number three on your mock draft. But again, another guy shut down for the year. James Wiseman out in Memphis. Um, a lot of physical tools, though, a guy who. Look, he's long and athletic and can shoot a little. Uh, there's there's a lot to like there. Um, we've talked about him before, though, not necessarily wanting to be more of a different kind of player than maybe he will end up being at the NBA level. Yeah, the big thing with him is that uh, he has like all of the physical tools to be just a terrific defensive presence in the NBA, right? Like we're talking – if we're talking about like small ball fives, he's he kind of like fits the mold of a small ball five, so to speak, at seven foot one, two hundred forty pounds with a seven foot six wingspan. If he decides that he wants to be the best defensive center in the NBA, you know, I think that there's a very real chance he could be uh, like a bigger, more athletic Miles Turner. And I say that knowing that I, I say that with the with the idea in mind that Miles Turner is like playing for Team USA and is an All Star and, and you know defensive yeah. was he defensive player of the year or like no he, he's, he's gotten some consideration but he is in, uh, for that a defensive team it's really hard to get on the All Defensive Center team right now because those are uh, with Embiid and uh, with Embiid and Gobert right. out there it's just hard to be a center and get a lot of get a lot of love in that position. Yeah, so I think that James Wiseman could be a very, very good player in the NBA. Uh, he certainly has all-star potential. The big thing with him, though, is he kind of, even at the high school level, even even at the college level, he kind of had this 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 habit of just wanting to be out on the perimeter and wanting to pull people away from the basket and wanting to prove that he can make jump shots and wanting to prove that he could put the ball on the floor and, and, and play as a face-up player instead of just you know, overwhelming people because he's seven foot one and 240 pounds with a seven foot six wingspan. So uh, I, I I want him to embrace this idea that he is who he is instead of trying to be the next uh, Giannis Attentacumbo. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it, it's, it's, it's frustrating kind of watching that a little bit. Um, but on the other side of it, like we saw DeAndre Ayton had a little bit of the same uh, concerns coming out and, and, you know, he's been uh, pretty damn good as a, a pro through his first two seasons. So yep. um, the big thing is like, will he just embrace it? And like, honestly, like Deandre hasn't even embraced this idea that he is a five, like he still talks about wanting to be a four, right? Like he calls yeah. himself power forward, all those things. And I don't understand that. We'll talk about another guy, precious, precious, Achua, who uh, another Memphis kid that kind of, does not embrace this idea that like he can be a five, like precious to me could be a poor man's bam out of bio. Like he does a lot of the same things that bam does. And I don't think he's going to end up being as good as bam is, but with his size, his length, his athleticism, the way that he can be switchable, the way that he can rebound the ball, defend the rim a little bit. Um, the energy that he plays with like precious has a chance to be a very, very good, very useful role player in the NBA for a long time. If he says, okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's my job. I'm going to go make $50 million over the course of like the next 10 years of my life doing that. And that's very pop. Like he could legitimately make 50 million, $60 million doing that. But if he thinks that he can be like the next Paul George and wants to be a perimeter player, no, you're not going to do that. So it, it's, I don't understand why some of these guys want to be something that they are not or try to prove uh, that they are something more than what can make them like eight figures. You know, we're, we're talking like $50 million of income, even after taxes, even after agent fees, even after broker fees, even after all that. Um, 
that's like a that's a generational amount of money. That's like a life changing amount of money, not only for you, but if you invest it right and you spend it right, like for your children and your children's children. So uh, hopefully Precious buys into that idea because he can um, really, really make himself into a wealthy individual and a good NBA player if he does. Can we talk about that concept now just for a second? Not the money part, but the accepting the role part, because I have had that conversation with people who follow football and, and scouts there. I had, I actually had uh, lunch out here, uh, dinner out here in Chicago last night with Michael David Smith from Pro Football Talk, who I've known forever. And I've, but I've had this with my friend who's a baseball scout, a little less in that sport because of the more individualistic nature of it. But young stars, who especially they come up through high school and they're the best player on their team, right? And they're getting all this love and they're getting all this love on the AAU circuit. If you're a basketball player, there comes a point where unless you're one of those top, what, 15, 20 players in the world, 25 maybe, like you don't get to do what you want to do every time you're on the court. If you're LeBron, you can, sure. But for most of these guys, you know, you mentioned Bam Amadio and all these guys. For a lot of guys, man, if you can accept that you are going to play a role. Hey, I'm a football player. I'm a really good high school and college football player. I get to the NFL. You know what? I'm on special teams and I'm going to be a third string running back or whatever I'm going to be. And I've got to play some, I've got to accept the role. And if I do that, I can have a really nice career. That becomes hard. You end up losing guys with the talent because they, they can't accept it. And then they don't put in the work to kind of grow into that role. Uh, some guys do it, some guys don't. But I think it's I think it's a, a mindset, and it's going to be like the hardest part of scouting is finding the guy who's like, yeah, you know what, I can do that. Well, there's there's two reasons that make it so hard. One, to get to that level of being a basketball player, to be a, an NBA basketball player, where there are what like 500 jobs, like it might be the 450 on a good day if if, if everything's yeah. full, right? And then throwing like the two way contracts, right? Yeah. And, and and even that's just like a two way. But still, um, to get to that level of basketball, you have to be not only so good at what you do, but so confident in what you do and wired a certain way that lets you brush off everything else that's going on around you, keeping all the noise out, whatever. Like you have to be a very, very special and talented individual and athlete to be able to get to that level. And when you are wired that way, you are wired to say, yeah, I can do any of this. Uh, You know, I, I might only be like a top, like the number 50 pick in the NBA draft. But hey, if I put in the work, I'm good enough where I could end up averaging 25 points a game at the NBA. Like the, those guys, that's how they think. Right. And you right. don't want to the, you don't want to push that confidence out of them. But at the same time, it, it, you need to understand that um, the difference between like, let's say the 150th best player in the NBA. Right. And the guy that is the best player not in the NBA, like the difference between those two players is so marginal because these guys are so talented and so good at what they do. And there's so few jobs available in the NBA that all of it becomes about fit. All of it becomes about accepting a role. All of it becomes about, uh, you know, fitting into the right organization. And if you can find the right organization that's going to develop you to play a certain way and play a certain role and you accept that and you embrace it and you say, I'm just going to be great in the job that I'm being asked to do, then you could be Andre Iguodala. Like, do people realize how good Andre Iguodala was before he decided to just kind of be like a three and D stopper? Yeah, exactly. Do you think people realize that Tony Allen was the big 12 player of the year and averaged 18 points a game at Oklahoma State when Oklahoma State was like a top 10 team? I don't think people realize that. Like the guys that accept a role were unbelievable basketball players in college, and they can probably still do all of that stuff. You know, Tony Allen, when he was the best defensive player in the NBA, could probably average 10 to 12 points, 15 points. He could probably shoot better than like 99.99% of people in America. But he just said, I'm going to go out and be the best defender. And it kept him in the NBA for a long, long time. And he made a lot of money doing it. So if you can find something that you are good at and embrace doing it, then you're going to be a very, very wealthy human being. Exactly. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a couple guys that are bigger names that you had slightly farther down the list. I'd heard Cole Anthony's name like a year ago. We thought of him as much higher. Uh, You have him down at number 10 now. Uh, Is there a reason for that? Yeah, you know, I I just – my big thing with him is I think that he needs to some be that he he kind of is exactly the guy that we're talking about, right? Like he is a very, very good scorer, but he's somebody that needs to have the ball in his hands. He's someone that needs to be ball dominant. He's a guy that's very like shot first, shot heavy. I think he's a little bit of a better passer than his reputation suggests. 
but he's not a natural playmaker. Like his instinct is to score. And while he can make some of these passes that you need to make, and while I think he'll, it, it shows up more when he actually trusts his teammates. Um, I don't think that he is somebody that can do it at the level that he needs to do in the NBA. Like he, he wants to be that kind of like Russell Westbrook or Damian Lillard or someone wired in that way that has the ball, that controls the ball, that takes all these shots, that is is the superstar 25-point-per-game point guard. Like that is, that is the style of basketball that he plays, and that is the way that he is going to succeed. Like we talk about roles that guys have, right? Like that is his role. I just don't think he's good enough at that role to be able to be like be worth that many shots. And if you're not – if he can't do it at the level – that those guys do it, then why are you going to be drafting him in the top 10? So um, I think that he has a chance to be a pretty good, like kind of second level or second uh, unit score. Uh, I, I just, I'm not convinced that somebody that is um, as ball dominant as he is, is someone that is going to survive in the NBA. Cause I'm not sure he's talented enough to be Russell Westbrook or Damian Lillard. Yeah. If you're ball dominant, you have to be, you have to be pretty darn incredible at the next level. Um, and again, I think that's a good point about coming back to the, you know, coming back to that role and accepting it. Or as a scout put it to me once, the difference between a, the difference between player number two hundred in the United States and guys in Europe is pretty thin. Like you know, again, it's the same thing to your point. It's like it's it's just not that it's not that big. Once you get past those elite players and the starters and the crazy athletes, it's not that big. And we'll see if Cole Anthony can accept it. The other guy you've got down there is the other guy out of Australia, R.J. Hampton. Um, I literally have seen so little of him that I I don't know enough to to comment. You have him number nine, but I know he got a lot. Well, he's gotten a lot of pub, maybe just because he is one of those players who's been overseas. Yeah, and and you know I honestly have not seen much of him in Australia. Like the one thing that I, I tried not to do when I do these first like mock drafts is I'm both mostly just ranking the guys that I've seen, um, and I saw him play uh, at, on the AAU level um, growing up. I've not seen him play all that much in Australia. Uh, that's why you won't see like Denny Avdija or whatever the guy's name is um, yeah. in this this first edition of the mock draft because I I'm not going to rank like I know he's going to go up there um, I have not seen him play so this is less of a mock draft and more of just like a a ranking of uh, the top American prospects so uh, take that for what it is um, RJ like the big thing with him is um, I one I don't know what he does great like what is his elite skill what is his what does he do at an nba level that's a little bit of a problem to me and two um yes he's young but it, there's still a little bit of like he needs to develop his frame right and he needs to um get a little bit stronger and uh if he's going to be this guy that is kind of like the 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 guy that can play the point a little bit and play off the ball a little bit um he needs to be a better shooter and he needs to be able to actually guard two different positions and i'm not convinced that he can do it and look Part of that is he just needs to be coached up on it. Like when you are an elite player in the high school ranks, like no one is going to try to uh, drill home, like how to be in the right position when you're closing out and uh, where you have to be on this rotation because you're the star. Like you're supposed to rest on defense because they need you to score 40 points for them to do what they want to do um, offensively. So I get that a little bit. He needs to be coached up. He needs to get into an NBA strength and conditioning program. Uh, but with his his size, his athleticism, and the fact that he can play on and off the ball, uh, he is somebody that is worth taking in the top ten to me. Um, just because like players like that are kind of the, like you want that versatility, you want that multi positional defender, uh, you want someone that can be a secondary playmaker if you're putting him off the ball. Um, so he's got some work to do, but there's definitely potential there. Um, I'm going to be upfront with you. I have seen zero Dayton basketball this year, so I have. Said- oh man, you're missing out. Dayton is my favorite team to watch. Is they it are really? so much. They're so much fun. Like they are. They run the most NBA, and uh, the, the most um, the closest thing to an NBA offense in college basketball is what Dayton runs. They are so good at it. They have uh, Obi Toppin at the five. They have Ryan Michael at the four. Uh, they have three guards that can really, really shoot it. They run a ton of screen and rolls. And Obi is just – the thing about Obi that makes him so special is that we talk about embracing a role. Like, to me, he's right there with with Marcus Howard as National Player of the Year in college basketball. And I would make the argument that, like, Obi Toppin is kind of like a role player slash a glue guy. But he's averaging 20 points and eight boards and two assists and a block and a half and shooting 36% from three. And 
he knows who he is and he knows what he is as a basketball player. He's 6'9, he's 225. He's just a terrific athlete. He's probably the best finisher around the basket in all of college basketball. Um, he is everything that you look for in a four in, in the modern NBA and a guy that can do a little bit of small ball five stuff. You know, he can he can step out on the perimeter and beat people off the dribble. He can make threes, he can protect the rim, he's switchable defensively, even though like he's a little stiff still. Um, and a little upright, but he's also like, how about this, Kurt? When he was a junior in high school, he was six foot two. When he was a senior in high school, he had his scholarship offers were like a D2 school and some random little junior college like outside of New York City. He went to Mount Zion in Baltimore and grew to six seven. And Dayton ended up offering. He ended up going to Dayton because like he got there and uh, he just like Dayton is such a basketball town and basketball city. Like they love the Flyers more than anything else in that city. So um, he went there. They loved him. Redshirted a year, grew to six, eight, put on 20 pounds as a freshman. He grew to six, nine. So he is someone that is still very like he's almost 22, but he's very young in terms of like kind of his basketball development. So I still think there's a little bit of a chance to you get him in the right strength and conditioning program and he'll you can. Uh, make him a little bit more of a fluid athlete. Like he's so explosive and so strong now. And he's everything that you want in in, in the college program. I have him at four, um, mostly because I think that he's just going to be so good at the role. Like he knows what he is and he's going to step in. He's going to be able to do it right away. And he's going to be very, very, very good at it. I have no doubt about that. So I don't think that he's going to end up being like some star in the NBA. But if you're talking about getting like a really good starting four, that will allow you to play the way that you need to play to match up with teams like the Rockets and match up with teams that are going to try to go small. You know, Obi Toppin is that guy. So. If you're six nine and can space the floor and play a little defense, like, but if you're six nine and can just drag your, like you said, the other opposing four out of the lane, you just you have a role. You have a spot, man. If they have to respect you out there, you can make that happen. Um, Therese Halliburton is a guy who's gotten a lot more pub lately too, uh, out of out of Iowa State. Um, puts up a lot of numbers, but he's a, is it the athleticism? I mean, he's shooting almost 42% from three. That's part of it. Yeah. He's got a weird stroke. Like he kind of, he's another guy that like has a release. that's kind of like Sean Marion. Um, okay. And like he is, he's 175 pounds soaking wet. He's really thin. And he's another one of these guys that just is not like this super athlete. So while he does have positional size to be kind of like a be able to defend different different spots, like he's not someone that you look at him and you watch him play and you say, oh, wow, like we know like quick twitch athlete. We know he's going to be a great defender. The reason I like him, the reason I have him probably higher than a lot of other people is because if you look at the point guards that have come in the NBA and have done better than any kind of expectation that we had, it is guys like Luka Doncic, guys like Trey Young and guys like John Morant who are just sensational passers and can make all the reads, can make all the passes out of ball screens. And that's what Tyrese Halliburton does better than anything else. Like he, I, I was talking with a guy on the, uh, the, the Iowa state staff and he like practices this stuff. Like he goes out and does like one on O ball screen drills and gets a manager out there. And he's like throwing all of the passes that you need to be able to make. And all of the reads that you need to be able to make when, when it comes to, to uh, playing in ball screens and he's doing it just so he's, he can be a better passer in those situations. So um, that's why I'm higher on him than, than probably a lot of people is because of the way that he can shoot and because of the way that he can pass. And if you look at the point guards that have done better than expectation uh, in recent years, it's because of how well they can pass the ball. Speaking of point guards, you can pass a little bit. What do you, you've got Nico Mannion. I've seen Nico Mannion in pretty much the top 10 on every list I've ever seen. You have him up there as well uh, out of Arizona. Um, how do you project him playing out? I mean, I think he's a, probably a backup in the long run. He doesn't really have the length to be a great defender. He He's not like super explosive. I, I think I saw uh, credit to Sam Vecini of the Athletic for the stat, but he has like 14 in 14 games um, that he's played. He's I think he has nine shots at the rim um, in, in the last 14 games. So it's not like he's able to get to the basket in the half court. Uh, that's a little bit of a concern. Um He's a, he's a good shooter. He's not a great shooter. Uh, he tries defensively, but he's not athletic enough to really be a great defender. But he really understands the game. He's another guy that can really make all the passes that you need a point guard to make. He's he's terrific in like reading how a defense is playing a certain uh, a, a certain um, action or a certain play or a certain set. So uh, all of that stuff 
um, matters. And all of this leads me to believe that he's got a chance to kind of hang around the NBA for a while. But uh, I don't think it's going to be as much more than like maybe kind of like a TJ McConnell, Ryan Archdiakono, uh, maybe a best case scenario, Jalen Brunson kind of a level. Um, and the reason I have him where I have him is because in a draft where there are so many guys that are you're just rolling the dice on and you're saying, I hope he ends up being able to figure this out where he can be an NBA basketball player. I think getting someone that has a high floor that you know is going to be able to uh, kind of fit within your organization and contribute for a while, I think there's value in that. So that's why I have Nico Mannion where he is. I don't like I, I don't know if he'll ever be a starter in the NBA, but you know, Tyus Jones is going to be a good pro for a long, long time. Yep. And I would not be surprised if Nico Mannion ended up being on the same level as Tyus Jones. That's that's actually a nice comp though. Like you said, that's a quality backup point guard in the NBA who's going to have a nice long career, is going to probably play for a bunch of teams, but is going to he said he's going to earn nice money over a long time and have a have a have a good career there. So like what about a guy that's a little higher on your board um out of Kentucky uh, uh Therese Maxey. Like uh, since we're talking about point guards, we'll we'll stick with them. Um another guy I mean, he got to Kentucky. He's obviously got some skills, but he's not terribly – he's not knocking it down from three this year. Yeah, I mean, the big thing with him is uh, you you have to trust that he is the shooter that he had the reputation for being when he was in high school and not the guy that he's been this year. Like, he's shooting 29% from three. Yeah. And, um, I, like, I, I kind of have him where I have him because I'm, I'm just banking on the fact that that's going to regress at some point because I think he's a better shooter than what he's been so far this season. And everybody that I talked to that 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 knew him when he was younger, that has seen him play when he was younger, that uh, that that evaluated him when he was 16, 17, 18 years old, they all say, like, look, this kid can really, really shoot it. I don't know why he's only shooting 30 percent right now. But uh, if that if that trend continues or it continues to go down, then I'm going to have to drop him um, on on the mock draft, because if he's not making shots, like the, his entire value is. His ability to make threes, the fact that he's uh, a good and capable and willing defender, and how good he is at finishing around the basket. Like if he, I think his ceiling, absolute ceiling, absolute best case scenario is a guy like a a, a Lou Williams, um, who kind of makes a career out of being like a second unit scorer. Yep. But the thing about being Lou Williams is you got to be able to shoot the ball, and if you're not able to shoot the ball, then you're not able to space the floor, and you only have so much value as a guy whose role is being a scorer. Yeah, and by the way, as much as he's a scorer and, and Jamal Crawford filled that role too, both of those guys could pass a little. Both of those guys, I mean, honestly, the Lou Williams Montrezl Harrell pick and roll is about as smooth a pick and roll as there is in the NBA right now. That's a really nice. Hey, we're bringing that off the bench. Good luck with this. Yeah, and, um, and Maxie actually can do some of that. And like the other thing yeah. that he does incredibly well is is uh, like his floater game. Like he's really good at finishing over length uh, around the basket. And and to do that, you have to put in the work, right? And everyone that will talk to you about Tyrese Maxey says, like, he's a great kid. He's a worker. Like, he's someone that is going to get the absolute maximum out of what his physical abilities are. Uh, so that's one thing that you like to hear. Like, when you if you're drafting a kid that you know is going to put in the work, then that just means he's probably going to keep getting better and better and better. So um, that definitely helps as well when you're when you're evaluating in this situation. So I'm I'm last night out here in Chicago. I'm out with my buddy. Uh, I we, we end up at a bar, and I'm kind of keeping an eye on the Lakers uh, Nuggets game. Right next to it on the television is what I'm assuming is a replay, but uh, is uh, Auburn Alabama, and I'm watching Isaac Okoro thinking that guy can play a little. I, and then here he is on your list. You have him uh, in the top ten. Um, you, you said you're a little higher than the consensus, but there's something there. Oh, he's he's terrific. I I absolutely love Isaac Okoro. Um, I think he is a guy that is the best perimeter defender in all of college basketball this year. You know, he's 6'6", 225. He like he he's already great. It's little things like he can really move his feet. But there was like I I tweeted out a video example a, a little while ago. But there's one play where it's like someone has him beat and he's able to switch his hips and take two steps sprinting while keeping staying chest to chest with the guy and then getting back and sliding and cutting off the drive and then contesting the shot when the guy tries to, to cross over and go the other direction. Um, he is someone that is a better passer than, than I had any idea that he, uh, that he was heading into the season. Like he really understands how to drive, draw and kick. Um, he's a very willing passer uh, when he can get ahead of steam to the basket. Like he throws down some monster dunks. 
Um, he's just he, he does everything that you want out of a, a wing in the NBA right now, except shoot the ball at a certain level. He's shooting 28% from three this season. Uh, but um, he is a guy, again, talking to people that have known him, talking to people that have seen him play. He is someone that is going to put in the, the hours in the gym. Like if there's any possibility that he can end up being a good shooter, it's going to happen because he's going to put in the work and he's going to make it happen. And so if you're telling me I can get a guy that is a multi-positional defender that is going to be able to space the floor, that can defend in isolation from like probably the two to the four, maybe even guard point guards, that can create attack against closeouts, that is going to force people to close out long because of his ability to shoot. And if he gets by the first defender, is going is willing to make a pass if the help comes. Why would like that's just exactly exactly the role and exactly what you're looking for in the NBA. Like those kind of players, that commodity is just so so valuable. So um, I might even you know honestly I might even end up being low with Isaac Okoro on seven. I saw a shout out to Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated. Um, he came out with his mock draft yesterday and had Isaac Okoro at three, and I was like, damn, maybe I didn't go hard enough. Uh, we'll see. I mean, look. I- perimeter defense is a high value thing, right? Like in a, in a draft where you're not sure about other things, if you, if you're a GM and you think, man, I can teach this guy to shoot. He works hard, but I can get perimeter defense. That's, that's awesome. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the same reason why I'm higher on Sadiq Bay than probably anybody else on the planet is because Sadiq, like one, like he's still growing. He's, he's uh, Sadiq Bay is at Villanova for people that don't know. and, And he was six foot one, as a high school junior. And now he's six foot eight. He might even be six foot nine at this point. Um, he is the best defender in that Villanova program. Like if you watch their games last night, he was guarding Marcus Howard, who was leading the country in scoring. Uh, they'll put him on someone like a miles Powell. They'll also put him on like bigger defenders and he'll guard people that are at the four because he's big enough and strong enough to do it. Uh, he's shooting 48% from three. He's averaging 16 points a game. Um, he's able to put the ball on the floor. Like he was more of a point guard than anything else. Like he brought the ball up when he was in high school, so he can make plays against closeouts and you know pass once he gets into the lane. So he does all of those things as well. So if you're looking for that kind of a role player and someone who's just going to, he's also a Villanova wing. And what do we see from Villanova wings? Like whether it's Mikhail Bridges or Josh Hart or Dante Divincenzo or Eric Pascal. Like if you play the wing in Villanova, you're just like guaranteed to be a good. <laughs> professional basketball player. I don't think he's going to be great, but he's going to have a job for a long time because he could do all of those things very well. Jalen Smith had a nice run for a stretch and, and, and is a guy I'd seen some highlights of who you're like, man, that guy's bouncy. Like that guy, that guy's a, that guy has the athleticism. Does he have the rest of the game? So he, I love his ability to shoot. Like he's someone, he, he even has like Mark Turgeon running him off of pin downs a little bit. And, and you know, at six foot 11, and the way that he can block shots uh, with that shooting ability, that's, that's really, really valuable. He's been unbelievable over like the last month. Um, maybe, maybe the best player in the Big Ten in the last month. And that's saying a lot with how good the Big Ten is. Uh, my big thing with him, he falls in love a little bit with the three point shot. He's like really, really slender. Like if you look at him, they call him sticks for a reason. And um, he's a little bit like he's kind of stiff and he doesn't really get low. And while he's like really explosive when he has kind of a runway and a lane to the basket, the athleticism isn't quite as functional when he can't kind of step into it. He, he plays a little bit high. He's got a little bit of a high waist. Uh, so I, I, I'm curious to see how long this will last. Uh, but he is someone like when you can shoot the way that he can shoot, and he can block shots the way that he can block shots. And you're as athletic as he is, you always got a chance. And someone's going to take a shot on him. There, there was a while where I didn't think he was going to end up being a first-round pick. But at this point, like, I don't – you can't justify not having him somewhere kind of around the top 20. Cool. Who are some of the sleepers out there, like, in terms of, like, people we're just not watching and, and aren't really getting a lot of pub that are catching your eye? Uh, th- there's a couple. There's a guy named Paul Reed at DePaul – who is like six foot nine. How about this? There have been, uh, since Shane Badet left school in 2001, there have been three high major basketball players that have averaged at least two blocks and two steals in the same season. One of them was Matisse Steibel last year at Washington. One of them was Nerlens Noel in 2013 with Kentucky. And there's Paul Reed from DePaul. You know, he, he's, uh, last year he shot 40% from three. This year he is 13 for 46. So he hasn't been great. But he shot 77% from the free throw line the last two years. He's going to end up being a good pro, find a, find a role somewhere. I like Daniel Oturo at Minnesota. 
Um, I like him a little bit more than Jalen Smith because he can he can shoot, he can step out on the perimeter, but he's also like probably like a good thirty pounds stronger than uh, right. than, than Jalen Smith is. So I think that plays a role. Uh, the guy that has like really grown on me more than maybe anyone is Joel Ayayi at Gonzaga. Uh, he is he's a French kid that came to school when he was seventeen, and it took him a while to kind of work his way into the Gonzaga rotation. He's a redshirt sophomore now, uh, but he he was terrific playing in the, I think it was the U nineteen World Championships over the summer, and no one really thought that he was going to do anything this year for Gonzaga because they brought in a couple of uh, of grad transfers at the point guard spot. But he's ended up becoming like this this super valuable piece. Like he's really really good reading pick and rolls. He's a much better shooter than anyone realized that he would ever be when he was in college. And you know, at six foot five, he is someone that can probably guard two different positions in the NBA. So uh, he's got a chance. I, I don't know if he'll end up being a first round pick this year, but he's certainly someone that I think is um, worth keeping an eye on at this point because he's got a chance to be pretty good. Uh- I wanted to ask you for a bit too. I uh, just to run through the A top twenty five stuff. Like, is Baylor that good? Like, is Baylor a legit like they can win the national title type of team? Yeah, I do think they can. Um, they are just they're so 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 good defensively, and it's actually weird. So Scott Drew normally like plays zone. What he did for the last three or four years was play zone, and this year not only is he playing a man, uh, but he's doing it like a different way than most people do. It's it's. Um, very similar to what Texas Tech did last season. You know, the the, the thing that, that has kind of become popular, especially with the success that Tony Bennett is having at Virginia, is running a pack line defense. Right. And that basically means, like, you, for, you don't give up anything baseline. You try to force everything into the middle, and you want them all to end up, like, at the logo just below the foul line where you have all of this help. It's called the pack. Like, you have someone uh, that's going to step in on the drive to, to cut it off, and then – um, you have help at the rim if somebody beats you, and, and you basically want people to drive into the middle of the lane where you have all these bodies and there's no space. What Baylor does is it's basically no middle. They force everything to the baseline, and they help so early because they know which direction you're going. They will not let you dribble. Like if you're on the right side of the floor, they will not let you go left unless you are going to dribble straight back towards the half-court line. So they're going to make you go baseline. They're going to have the help there, and they're going to have people on the baseline to try to uh, steal that skip pass take charges, whatever. So um, they're great at doing that. They switch everything because they're, they're like starting fours are, uh, or they're starting forwards or a guy named uh, Freddie Gillespie, who's like six, nine with a seven foot wingspan, but can guard on the perimeter. And a guy named Mark vital. Who's like six, five, but is about 250 pounds. And is, is, you know, he really should be like a defensive lineman or something. I don't know why he's wasting his life <laughs> playing basketball. I enjoy it. Uh, but they are just they're so good defensively and they have enough creators and shot makers offensively combined with the fact that they are a uh, like one of the best offensive rebounding teams. Um, they're just they're they're very, very, very good. And yes, they absolutely are good enough to win a national title. The other one I've got I, I, is San Diego State for real. Like I didn't pay much attention to him until I was suddenly writing about, uh, you know, the Kawhi Leonard jersey retirement. And I'm like, they're what record? And then I started watching a little and like. There's some skill there, man. Yeah, you know they don't have the big thing with them is they don't have a like I don't think they have a pro, um, and I don't right. even know. I think you can make the all Amer- the the argument that they may not even have an all American on their roster, uh, but they have they're they're another team that's really good defensively. They're guys that all understand what their role is, and they have two players on the team, Malachi Flynn and Matt Mitchell, that can both absolutely take over a game. Malachi Flynn is one of the best point guards in the country. Matt Mitchell's a guy like he's six foot six and he's kind of chunky, but like when he gets hot, like he can make three, four, five threes in a row. And then the other night against New Mexico, like he had one of the best dunks I've seen in college basketball this season. It was one of those ones where like you're just kind of watching the TV and you're like, ah, he's gonna get from what? How did he dunk that? So um they are they're they're really, really good. I would probably have them below uh Gonzaga, below Kansas, below Baylor in terms of um, national title contenders. And before like Louisville fell off the face of the map last night, I would say that Louisville was probably a better team than them as well. Yeah, they had a rough one last night. Florida State's up there. By the way, they've got somebody in Patrick Williams you've got on your list. Yeah, he's interesting. He, he's just – he's so athletic. And it's kind of hard, honestly, to evaluate Florida State guys because of the the, the – like based on just numbers because of the way that, that Leonard Hamilton wants to play. Um, he always goes 11 deep. 
and everybody kind of gets the same amount of minutes. The guys that are the starters and the guys that are 11th man all kind of play. It's very European of him. Yeah, it's like all they play all like 20 minutes. So um, Patrick Williams is just, again, we talk about guys that can play a role in the NBA, right? He's six foot eight. He's a terrific athlete. He can really, really, really guard. He kind of protect the rim a little bit. He can guard out on the perimeter. Um, so w- when you have guys that can do all of those things, and are also capable of like making a shot from the perimeter and putting the ball on the floor. Like that's that's kind of what you look for. So um, I don't have I need to he's one of those guys where it's like I need to see more of him, but it's kind of hard not to say like, okay, this guy's got a chance because of just the physical tools that he has and and the things that this like the skills and things he's able to do on the floor. For your sake, I'm not gonna talk about Kansas. We really if Kansas wins, you know Mike Miller will just never let you hear the end of it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. But the see, the good thing is I planned that out um, and I knew that would happen. So I took a Kansas future when they were down to like, I think it was 18 to one to win the national title. So that way, at least when I when when Mike Miller is yelling at me, at least I'll he'll be doing it while I'm uh, counting my winnings. For people who don't know, Mike is uh, and actually nobody would really know except for like a few people. Listening to this. Uh, Mike is uh, Rob and I's boss um, and, yes. and, a, and a Kansas nut. Um well, thanks for doing this, man. I, we went through a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. We will be back. We will do our mock draft when we get uh, a little later in the year. And I've started to really just started to dive into this stuff now. So it's it's been it's been interesting. And uh, I will now go watch some Dayton basketball. Uh, yeah, I, you I need to watch Dayton, man. I'm telling you, you will not you will not regret it. They are very, very, very good. All right. Yeah, I've got to I've got to start carving out time for that, and and maybe maybe a little less time for New York Knicks basketball. I, I can, I can <laughs> squeeze those things in. All right, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, you can catch Rob's work at NBC Sports, and you're just you're a plague all over the web. Uh, your Instagram, by the way, has like really great stuff for people who haven't seen it. What is it again? It's Rob.Dosser. Go follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to make it a thing. I don't have a thousand followers yet. I got to get there. I need that pro basketball talk podcast bump. Yeah, well, th- th- that that should get you two to three at best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for doing this. We will be back next week with more pro basketball talk podcast here at NBC Sports. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.